Chapter Eight of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Eight. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It was a very comfortable day. At least such was the verdict of Mrs. Sales and Del Bronson. The rain came down with a steady, unceasing drizzle and the sky reached down to the hills on every side and was lead color. Nevertheless, the library was in a delightful state of coziness, and neither shopping nor calls haunted the conscience of the presiding genius of the house, so she gave herself over to the domain of unmixed pleasure. Both ladies sewed while they talked, at least Mrs. Sales did, on a small white garment for baby Essie, but Dell had dropped her work on the floor beside her, and was engaged in holding and petting and trying to learn the names of eleven dolls, to the no small delight of the aforesaid baby Essie, who was holding high carnival in the library in honor of the rainy day. Mrs. Sale suddenly paused in the midst of a sentence, and watched the slow progress of a woman crossing the street in the mud, who had a threefold object in view, to protect her dress from the muddy crosswalk, to prevent sundry parcels from falling thereon, and to keep her umbrella right side up in spite of a strong wind that was bent on getting the best of it. There, Dell, the looker-on said at last, we are going to have a call in defiance of the rain. I had a presentiment that that woman was coming here. And who is that woman who is no wiser than to come here today of all days in the year? That is Mrs. Thomas Adams, a very good-hearted woman, and one who talks much more sensibly and pleasantly than many who have had twice her advantages. I am surprised to see her out, though. She seldom has time for calls. I'm afraid she is in trouble. The lady rang and was admitted, but no summons came to Mrs. Sales. It is not I who am wanted, after all, Mrs. Sales said presently, as the sound of footsteps was heard ascending the stairs and going in the direction of Mr. Tresevant's room. I forgot that we boarded the minister. I am real glad that Mrs. Adams has called. I was afraid she would be too timid. But what an extraordinary day she has selected for the undertaking. Oh, she has need not to be afraid of the rain. Her work calls her out in all kinds of weather. I suppose she hoped to escape meeting other callers by choosing such a forbidding day. If they don't come down immediately, I'm going to speak to her a moment. I believe I will, anyway. She will feel more comfortable." Before this hospitable intention could be carried out, Hannah opened the door with a somewhat puzzled face. "'Will you see Mrs. Adams, ma'am?' she questioned. "'Did she ask for me, Hannah?' "'No, ma'am, she didn't. She asked for Mr. and Mrs. Tresevant, but they ain't neither of them coming down, and I thought maybe you would want to see her.' Mrs. Sales looked the dismay that she controlled herself from speaking. "'What message have you for her?' she asked at length. He said tell her he was engaged. Perhaps Mrs. Tresevant will come down? She said she wasn't coming anyhow for nobody, Hannah said, trying to hide her face behind the door to conceal a smile. Well, Hannah, I will give Mrs. Adams the message. You may go. As the door closed after her, Mrs. Sales turned to her friend. Dell, what shall I do? Make your pastor over to suit your mind, laughed Dell. He certainly needs it and I don't know what else you can do. But Mrs. Adams is a particularly sensitive woman, and her husband has very recently commenced attending church. I am afraid it will offend them both. You see she don't understand about excuses. 
Would you venture to tell him what sort of a woman she is? They are strangers, you know. You might venture, Dell said, with a mischievous gleam in her eyes. I believe I will. If I were a minister, I should be obliged to anyone who would enlighten me a little as to people. Somewhat doubtfully she ascended the stairs on her self-appointed mission. Mr. Tresevant answered her gentle tap, and she announced her errand in a deprecating voice. Mr. Tresevant, you won't think me officious, will you, if I venture to plead for Mrs. Adams? She is a peculiarly sensitive woman, one of the class you know who are always imagining themselves slighted and her husband has but lately commenced attending church at all. She very rarely gets to see anyone. If you could give her just a few minutes. Now Mr. Tresevant had no special reason for not having time to spare at that moment, nor for refusing to see Mrs. Adams, save that he had just been indulging in an uncomfortable talk with his wife, and was in a disturbed state of mind. He was half inclined to yield the point and descend the stairs, but a wretched remembrance came over him just at that moment that Mrs. Sales was endeavoring to assume the management of him, and that he must not omit an opportunity of assuring her that he was his own master. She must be a very troublesome sort of person, I should say, he answered loftily. The less one has to do with such people, the better, as a general thing. I sent my regrets down to her, and must beg you to excuse me. Utterly vanquished, Mrs. Sales descended the stairs, stood irresolute in the hall for some seconds, and finally sought Mrs. Adams. Oh, to be able to state that both Mr. and Mrs. Tresevant were alarmingly ill, or at least in no condition to descend the stairs! As it was, she blundered and stammered, and she feared made sad work of her story, and Mrs. Adams' stay was short. All the comfort of that peaceful afternoon was gone. Mrs. Sales was troubled, and could not rise above her fears. Half an hour afterward Hannah answered another ring, and carried Judge Benson's card up to the study, and down came Mr. and Mrs. Tresevant to receive him, and must needs seat themselves in front of the bay window in full view of Mrs. Adams, as she plodded toward home with more bundles. "'She deserves to lose half of them in the mud,' Dell said viciously, to pay for giving us such a wretched afternoon. "'Here, Essie, take your eleven children. I've not patience enough to be a grandmother now.' and again Mrs. Sales, dropping the small white dress in her lap as she spoke, said earnestly, "'Dell, what shall I do?' "'Let it go, and give him a chance to see what a delightful muddle he can get things into,' advised Dell wickedly. "'You don't mean that,' said Mrs. Sales sadly. "'You see, he doesn't realize, and cannot be expected to, how unpleasant the results may be, and how disastrous to the religious interests of that family.' He realizes that she is Mrs. Adams, the wife of one of the workmen, and that the gentleman he is entertaining is Judge Benson. Dell, said Mrs. Sales, as she resumed her sewing, you are not trying to help. What on earth can I do? Dell said, with a mixture of mirth and vexation in her voice. Nevertheless, she was quiet and thoughtful after that for some minutes. At last she broke the silence. Abby, is this Mrs. Adams the mother of that young girl that Mr. Forbes brought to prayer meeting the other evening? Yes, Abby said. Well, then, he must be quite well acquainted with the family. Take him into confidence. He will smooth the matter over. How can he? I don't know, but I shall be surprised if he doesn't find a way. He is decidedly sharp, and is specially interested in this girl, I think. I have met him with her a number of times." I'll engage to tell him about it and see what he can do, if you wish. 
I might write a note to Jerome to send him up on some errand, if you really think he could help us any. I don't want that man to go away from church again, and he stayed away for years for a more trivial cause than this. I'll send for your friend this minute. But it's ridiculously rainy. Won't it do tomorrow? I don't know. I'm afraid to put off things when I have them to do. Hannah won't mind the rain. Mr. Sale, sitting in his private office, received, not long afterward, from a very damp Hannah, a bit of twisted paper. Its contents were, Dear Jerome, please send Mr. Forbes up here on some errand. We want to see him. Let him come in the course of an hour. Abby. Mr. Sale smiled, said, All right, there's no answer, to Hannah, and continued his writing for half an hour. Then he rang his office bell. The bellboy answered it. Is Carter in? Carter was the errand boy. No, sir, he has gone to Park Street on an errand. Very well, ask Mr. Forbes to step here a moment. Mr. Forbes, said he, as that man appeared, have you a leisure half hour? Yes, sir, I can take one. I wish, then, you would deliver this package safely at the bank, and then step into Snyder's and pay their bill. I believe there is rather more than enough in this roll to cover the amount. And if you will call at the house on your way back, and leave this note for my wife, you will be able to accomplish several things at once. Carter has been sent in another direction, they tell me. Mrs. Sales laughed a little over the important note that was brought to her through the rain. It was one hurried line. Blessed little schemer, what's in the wind now? She detained the messenger, however, while she wrote a reply, and Dell entered with energy into the business at hand. Mr. Forbes, do you know that Adams family whose daughter works in the mill? Mr. Forbes, with a reddening face, admitted that he did. Well, then, I wonder if you could help us a little bit. Then came a careful recital of the afternoon's developments, worded as cautiously, so far as Mr. Tresevant's share in it was concerned, as though Dell had no fault to find with him, save that of being unable to devote his entire time to callers. Mr. Forbes listened with silent, intelligent attention, nodding now and then by way of testifying to his appreciation of the difficulties of the occasion, asked presently a question or two, and, rising the moment the note for which he considered himself waiting seemed to be in readiness, said, I think it will be all right, Miss Bronson. I'll try it anyway. On his way downtown, he made one or two calls on his own responsibility. Dropping into a certain corner bookstore, he inquired when and by whom the next lecture was to be. It's tomorrow evening by the Reverend Mr. Tresevant, one of the clerks told him, and Mr. Forbes took two tickets and went on his way. Around the corner of Stone Street, down one block, and he was at Judge Benson's office. That gentleman was sitting behind the desk, very busy and alone. Mr. Forbes ventured in. Would Judge Benson excuse his interruption, and be so good as to tell him whether it was true that the Reverend Mr. Tresevant was to deliver the next home lecture? He knew Judge Benson was the chairman of the committee, and had made bold to ask the question. Judge Benson eyed benevolently over his gold-bowed glasses, the respectable-looking young man, who evidently belonged to the working classes, a company of people very dear to this judge's heart. It is true, he said, speaking genially, the bills will be out tomorrow morning. We could not determine on the evening before. But I have been to see Mr. Tresevant this afternoon, and it is all right. Are you interested in the course of lectures, young man? Very much indeed, Mr. Forbes assured him, and besides, Mr. Tresevant was his pastor. Is he indeed, and you are therefore anxious to hear him? 
that speaks well for you as a man and for him as a pastor. It is an excellent thing to see a young man like you interested in such matters. What is your business, may I ask? And on being informed, he further inquired his name and how long he had been in the little city, and, further, showed such interest in his welfare that the young man was astonished. However, he bowed himself out and sped rapidly to the mill, his little plan in a very matured and satisfactory state. Of course, he did not hear Judge Benson's remarks that were made to his inner self as the door closed. A good, frank face looks as though he might make a man and be a sort of leader among those fellows. I mean to keep an eye on him. So he is anxious to hear his pastor. That's more than I expected. Somehow that gentleman didn't impress me as one calculated to sympathize with the working men. I thought we had made a mistake in selecting him for this course of lectures. But I guess I'm wrong. He is, very likely, more than he seems. It was queer how many balls this little plan set rolling that not a single one of the workers knew anything about. Mr. Forbes, dressed in his best suit and looking like anything but a rough, would have been found that evening sitting cosily in the little sitting-room of the Adamses. Mr. Adams was not at home, but Mrs. Adams sat in her corner, at one end of the little square table, diligently darning a pair of blue yarn socks. Beside her was her daughter Jenny hemming towels. At least she was holding the towels and making very little progress. Her two brothers, Charlie and Johnny, occupied the remaining places at the table, busy with books and pencils. Rather close quarters this family kept, but kerosene had advanced several cents on a gallon, and it was necessary to watch all the leakages in the family expenses. So one small lamp did duty for all. Very comfortable they all looked, save that there was a gloom cast on the mother's face that the cheerful chatter of the young people failed to dispel. The visitor had been watching her furtively from time to time. Presently he said, the next lecture in the people's course comes off tomorrow evening. Does it? asked Jenny eagerly, her rosy cheeks promptly growing rosier. And how could she help wondering if Mr. Forbes was going, and if he could mean to invite her? How nice it would be if he did. She had been to so few lectures. Our minister is going to lecture, continued Mr. Forbes, after a little pause, and immediately he noted a drawing down of Mrs. Adams' mouth, while Jenny glanced in a troubled way toward her and answered nothing. "'I expect this has been a busy day with him,' Mr. Forbes added, feeling his way carefully, endeavoring to be as wise as a serpent. "'They didn't decide upon having the lecture so soon until this morning. I stopped in at Judge Benson's office this afternoon, and he said he had been up to see Mr. Tresevant and make all the plans, so he must be having a busy time.' Jenny's eyes took on a triumphant gleam, and she spoke joyously. There, mother, I told you there was some good reason for Mr. Tresevant not coming down to see you this afternoon. I knew he wasn't that kind of a man. You see, he had to come down to Judge Benson, whether he had time or not. The pucker in Mrs. Adams' mouth still stayed, and she spoke in stiff tones as she drew the long blue thread through the gaping hole. In my day it wasn't considered no disgrace for a man to explain the reason why, if he couldn't see a body, especially if he was the minister, but times is changed. Nevertheless, there gradually stole into her face a mollified look, and the wrinkles slowly smoothed out, so that by the time Mr. Forbes had added his next drop of oil, in the shape of a hearty invitation to Jenny to share his tickets, the mother's mouth had trembled into a smile, and she allowed that she would be glad to hear Mr. Tresevant herself. 
she thought he was a powerful preacher. Anyhow, she was glad her Jenny was to have the chance of going. End of chapter 8 Recording by Tricia G.